Hey, everybody, look at me. I have the holiest donkey in the world. I have never had so much fun in my entire life. All right, stop, stop. Get me off this thing. I walked on water. I think I can walk to the door. Hey, Jesus, will my donkey get into heaven now? Just, just one moment of peace, please. What in the name of me is going on in here? Yeah, he said that to me. Can you believe it? And so I says to Keith, I says, listen, I'm a Pharisee. I got mad ladies lining up around the block. What? Oh, let me see. There's that. There's that. Oh, man, we're going to get it. You're not supposed to be having fun. You're supposed to be praying and reading your Bible. And you guys, how do you expect to get to heaven by playing board games? Whoa, whoa, whoa. That's cool. Hey, guys. And these three think they can get into heaven just because they dress like the wise men. They said it was pretty mad. Well, I'd be mad, too, if I had to trot around the desert in those sandals. Have you seen them? They're so B.C. You know, Rome's not only the most powerful nation in the world, but we're also the most stylish. I mean, do you know how cool you look? Why, thank you. No problem. Check it out. Repeat after me. The before thou, except after thine. You know, I think your feather plume is poofier than mine. Well, they look the same to me. What do you want me to do about it? Hope you don't think you're going to the dance on Friday. <clears throat> oh, no. There are those Pharisee thugs stirring up trouble. Let's go check it out. <clears throat> yes, my associate and I were wondering. That is to say, we were hoping you could get us into heaven. We know a lot of Bible verses, and as you can see, we're very nicely dressed. <laughs> nicely dressed for a camel dealer, maybe. I think he got that up from the temple lost it found. Well, I think he made that rope from his mother's curtains. <laughs> How much money do you have? Oh, there you go. One coin. Are you serious? Well, I can, I can get some more. No, I'm sorry. You'll never get into heaven now. You, you had your chance and you blew it. Well, I guess I'll be going then. That sucker doesn't even realize I kept his coin. <laughs> <laughs> How many of y'all have ever um, been to or you're aware of Glamour Shots? Glamour Shots? You know, it's a place in the mall, um, used to be all the rage, and you go in there and, and they do your makeup and they do your hair and they do clothes and uh, they make you into this beautiful, wonderful person and they take your picture, but they don't stop there because if you've got any blemishes, you know, your skin color's jacked up or maybe one eye's higher than the other, they can go in uh, through the beauty of computer software, and airbrush you so that you come out looking perfect, right? You've seen those things, you're aware of what I'm talking about? 
And the, the absolute worst thing that can ever happen is you go to somebody's house. And if, if you're like me, I start looking at pictures. I look at pictures on the refrigerator. I look at pictures on the wall. And the worst thing you could do is to walk up and look at one of those pictures and go, Who's that? I've never seen that person in my life. And then your host goes, Well, that's me. Now, the wise among us would stop right there. Would just shut our mouths or at the very least change the subject. But, but the less um, intelligent people of New Life Community Church would go, What? That's not you. There's no way. That looks good. You look... Right? You know, that, if the image has been so distorted that you don't recognize it, that means somebody's been messing with the original. And I think that's what's happened to Jesus. We come to Christmas 2007, and people don't have a real clear picture of who Jesus is. Some people say, even today, you know, Jesus asked his disciples one time, who do people say that I am? And some said, oh, well, you're Elijah, you're one of the prophets, you're a teacher. And he says, who do you say I am? And his followers say, you are the Son of God. Well, today, you ask people, who do you think Jesus is? And, and a lot of people believe in Jesus. They just don't believe He's God's Son. So some people will say, well, Jesus was a good man. That's all He was, was a man. Nothing more, nothing less. He was a good man. Other people who've read a little bit of the Bible, maybe they've had some church background, they'll say, well, Jesus was a good teacher. A man, but a good teacher. Now, here's the problem with that. Jesus, in His teaching, He went running around and He told people, I'm the Son of God. <laughs> If he's just a man and he's teaching that he's the Son of God, does that make him a good teacher? If he knowingly is leading people astray, that makes him a liar. If he doesn't know that he's not the Son of God, if he just thinks he is, that makes him kind of crazy, a lunatic. But if he's right, that makes him the Lord of all creation. And wouldn't you expect the Lord of all creation to be able to do incredible things, like supernatural type things? Wouldn't you expect that? I mean, when I'm talking to people, I debate with folks sometimes, not, not uh, formally, but I'll talk with folks about who Jesus is, and some people don't believe who He is, and I say, well, just think about this. If He was God's Son, if He's a historical figure, which we can prove, if He had all kinds of people who were eyewitnesses to His miracles, which we have, if we, can, if we can figure out that He's historical, that He did incredible supernatural things, and He did things that you would expect the Son of God to be, wouldn't, wouldn't it make sense to believe in Him and to follow His pathway for your life instead of your pathway for your life? You see, the image has been distorted. And, um, and a lot of people think that if you follow Christ, somehow this message has gotten out, that if you follow Christ, all of your problems will go away. Now, if you followed Christ any amount of time at all, you know that's not true. That's not what the Bible teaches. Jesus is actually a storm chaser. And, and this scene that we saw, that's when he goes into the temple. If you read the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, you'll see the, the instance where he comes in and he, th he chases out the money changers because they're desecrating, defiling the church, the temple of the holy God. Jesus didn't shy away from storms. He actually chased storms. And uh, if, you, uh, if you're going to follow Christ, what, what you're going to find out that the Bible teaches that other Christians who've been alive and followed Christ any amount of time, what they're going to tell you is following Christ does not keep you out of a storm. What following Christ does is protects you in the middle of a storm. Now, in the Bible, Jesus used this phrase, and, and I'm going to put it up on the screen for you, Matthew 11:15, and it says, uh, you actually have it on your listening, guys, are you 
listening to me, really listening. Now, if you, if you have church background, you've probably heard it in this version. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Right? He's saying, you got ears? Use them. So, so our kind of our, our theme today is going to be, if you're really listening today, if you're really listening to what the Bible says, then you're going to see Jesus was a storm chaser. Now, more than once, Jesus used these words. Eight times in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those are the Gospels, eight times he uses this phrase, are you listening to me? Really listening. If you have children, you fully understand that question. Are you listening to me? Uh-huh. Really listening? Huh? Yeah. Oh, now I have your attention. Jesus, eight times in, the, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he used that. Eight more times in the book of Revelation, which talks about the end of the world, which talks about if you're a Christ follower, you win. No matter what kind of troubles and storms you go through, you win. Eight more times he goes, are you listening to me? Are you paying attention? Because if you are, you know what Jesus does? He gives you a big fat storm warning. You remember what Jesus said? He said, in this world, he's talking to his followers, you will have tribulation. That's not little problems. That's massive problems. So the storm warning is, you're going to have trouble. If you follow me, you're going to have trouble. Look at Jesus. Did Jesus have trouble in his life? Yes, do your head like that in case that wasn't a trick question. Jesus had trouble, so what that means is his followers, if you're going to be like Jesus, you are going to have trouble in this world. Okay, Jesus warned us about storms. What do I do when storms hit? That's what we're going to answer today. I want to take a little uh, true or false quiz about storms because I want, to, I want to check your storm warning IQ. Any of you have Weather Channel? You ever watch storm stories? We love storm stories. Except then if any kind of inclement weather, weather is anywhere around us, my kids freak. But we're, we, we just passed, we came to a new stage. You know the other night when it was thundering so bad? We have entered a new phase of life. It's the coolest thing ever. I heard the thunder and I was just so tired. Janie was so tired and you know, we heard it. And it was a, it was a you know, bed shaker. It was a big one. And I heard it and I just thought, I can't move. And Janie thought, I can't move. And so our kids gathered in the living room and sat on the couch together. They comforted one another. Janie and I snoozed. It was the greatest thing ever. It's like a new lease on life. So anyway, um, I'm going I'm to test your IQ about this whole storm story thing. Here we go. True or false? We can predict storms. Well, weather. When you watch the weather, what are they doing? Okay, this next one will help you out because you're already there. You're, you're sharp. You're a sharp group. You're already there. Next one. Our storm predictions are never wrong. False. That's where you were going. Y'all were going, uh-huh, those weathermen, they shouldn't get paid jack. Really, they shouldn't. They should dock their pay when they're wrong and get a bonus when they're right. That's, the rest of us function that way. All right, number three. Some people in the world never go through storms. And what I mean by that is some people, so there are some areas of the world that are protected from storms. False. All right. Y'all are smart. Now, this is, this is where I, wanted, I really want to test you right here. There's actually several things, and each one of these I want you to say true or false because I'm going to give you four options and true or false each one of these. The best way to handle storms is, A, ignore them. If I ignore it long enough, it will go away. Okay, good. I'm, I'm glad you're with me. B, complain about them. Won't do any good, right? And it might get you killed from the people around you who get sick of listening to you. Okay, 
Endure them? Mm, yes, except look at the look at the last one. Okay, because think about it. Big storm comes. I'm outside. I'm just gonna endure it. <laughs> I mean, right? You know. So I understand enduring, but if I have the choice, enduring out in the elements or enduring in a cave or enduring in my nice warm bed while my kids are huddled on my couch, going, "Did you see that one? Did you see that one?" You know. Hannah, Hannah was laying in bed. She said, and, and she's. She just rolled over and she kind of slipped off her pillow and she goes, was that lightning? And she was comforted because Rachel was already in the living room. I'm like, this is awesome, man. I like, I like this. Usually they just pile in our bedroom on the floor, but Caleb, he's to a new phase because he got up, watched a couple of lightnings and he thought, I'm too tired. I'm going back to bed. So the two girls hung out for a while and then they got tired and went back to bed. So if you're going to, take, if you're going to endure the storm, do it in shelter. Okay, makes sense? All right. Well, I want you to see um, how Jesus handled storms. And, and this story that we're going to look at today is so incredible. Jesus demonstrates power in such a way that a group of fishermen, experienced boatsmen on the Sea of Galilee, this is where they made their living. What he does is so remarkable that at the end of the story, these, these heavy-duty, man's-man type guys bow down in a fishing boat and worship Jesus. Now, this is such an important story that it's contained in three of the Gospels. And I'll actually make reference to all three of the, the different ones it's in. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 8. It's in um, Mark chapter 4. And what we're going to look at, if you have your Bibles, is in Luke chapter 8, verses 22 through 26. Notice what happens. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and started out. On the way across, Jesus lay down for a nap. And while he was sleeping, the wind began to rise. A fierce storm developed that threatened to swamp them, and they were in what? Real. real danger. Not a little bit, real danger. The disciples woke him shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown! And, and if you actually go into, uh, I believe it's the, the Mark 4 passage, they wake him up and they go, Don't you even care that we're going to die! You get a little bit different perspective in each one of these, these stories. Don't you care, Master? We're going to die. So Jesus rebuked the wind and the raging waves. The storm stopped and the sea was calm. So Jesus wakes up from his nap and he goes, chill out. And the wind and the waves chill out. Have you ever been able to do that? Me either. So look what happens. Then he asked them, where is your faith? And they were filled with awe and amazement. They said to one another, Who is this man that even the winds and the waves obey him? So they arrived in the land of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. They arrived where Jesus said they were going to go. Now, the first thing I want you to realize is not only Jesus the storm chaser, this is on your listening guide, Jesus is the storm placer. Not only is he the storm chaser, he's the storm placer. Question, did Jesus know this storm was coming? Probably, no, definitely. He knew the storm was coming. One time when I was 12, I had to fly from Houston, Texas to my hometown of Borger, Texas. Now, if you know anything about Borger, it's about like Palestine in size. So how big a plane can you land at the airport in Palestine? Not very big. So I'm going from Houston to Borger in a four-seater prop job. We get about halfway across the state of Texas. This is about 800 miles that I'm flying in this little thing. My mom had to be insane because she put me on this. She was a state in Houston. She put me on this. We're flying along in this massive storm. You know one of those that where, where you see the map and the whole stinking state is covered? 
That's what we were going into. And so the the pilot said, "Um, I think I'll go around this one. And I'm sitting back there going, please do. So we fly like over to New Mexico and then back up to the panhandle of Texas. And I was so grateful because what kind of idiot would fly a four-seater prop job into a thunderstorm if he knew it was coming? Okay, so why in the world would Jesus, knowing this massive storm... And if you study this, this is the type of storm that that comes... It's like a -a once-in-a-lifetime storm. And I read about a guide who today lives on the Sea of Galilee. Some folks were over there uh, touring Israel, the, the, the Promised Land... They got in a boat and they're out there on the boat and they said, have you ever been in a storm like this one in the, in the scriptures? And they said, his eyes got wide and he goes, yes, and I hope I'm never in one again. Jesus took them into the storm. Why? Storms have a purpose. And see, Jesus knows that there are certain lessons that we will only learn in the middle of storms. Now, you've got to understand there's three types of storms and you need to know which type of storm you're in because each one requires a different response. The first type of storm is the storm that I'm in because of my own stupid choices. You ever been in those storms? Where it feels like the gates of hell are beating you over the head because you chose on your own, knowing what you were doing was wrong, to walk into Satan's playground. You ever been in one of those storms? And you think, oh, how could it get any worse? And the only appropriate response, if, you ha- if that's the type of storm you're in, because if you say, why is this happening to me? And you listen, God will say, because you violated my commands. <laughs> and, and people who love you, people who love you, will say, you chose to do it. It's not hard. You knew it was wrong. You chose to do it anyway because it felt so right. And you're in this storm. The only appropriate response to get out of that is to confess it to God. God, I messed up. I willingly chose to go against you. And God says, if you'll do that, if you'll humble yourself, because, because before you will humble yourself, you'll have so much pride you won't admit it. Everybody knows it's your fault. And you're blaming everybody else. Not my fault. Not my fault. And everybody's like, please, just admit it. Because once you do that, then God says He will meet you and begin to repair your life, but not until. So that's the first type of storm. Second type of storm, you may be totally innocent. It's brought on to us uh, by the choices of others. Abuse, um, assault. One of my friends in college, uh, they were driving down I-35. They were going south on I-35 when a drunk driver began coming north on I-35, you got to work at that. If you've ever been through Waco, Texas, it's not like you cross the median. There's a concrete barriers. You have to work at getting on the wrong way. She hits him head on. He wakes up and his fiance is, is knocked out. Now, what did they do wrong? Absolutely nothing. They got on the highway. They were following the rules. They were innocent, and they got hit. Now, she was okay, knocked out her two front teeth. Beautiful girl, beautiful college girl with no front teeth for about a week because of all the swelling. They couldn't do this surgery. They were affected because somebody else's choices. And, and there is only one response that's appropriate to get you out of that type of storm, and you're not going to like what it is. You know what it is? Forgiveness. We have the shirts, forgiveness, the real F word. Everywhere I go, I have comments on that. That's a cool shirt, man. Where can I get one? Forgiveness. Because 
If you don't forgive, you are tied to the past. And the problem is everyone else moves along, including the person who hurt you. They don't even remember. And how foolish would it be? I've been in storms on lakes. I mean, where, where my brother was telling me one time when I was about Caleb's age. Actually, I was, I was younger than that. My brother was telling me what to do when the boat capsized, not if. I mean, we were in one of those storms. When the boat capsizes, Doug, you stay with the boat. I'll go for help. And I'm going, okay. Sounds like a good plan to me. <laughs> I'm seven and I'm hanging on to a boat in the middle of the lake. I mean, I've been in those types of storms. And um, how foolish would it be if, if we're prepared for a storm and the storm goes away and we're still there screaming, Ah, we're going to die! We're going to die! Can you see the fishermen going by? It's calm. And we're screaming. And we're in the midst of a storm that no one else sees because we're stuck in the past. Forgiveness allows you to release them and to move out of that storm. But there's a third type of storm, and this is what we see in our story today. This is the storm that Jesus takes you in. You see the difference? Jesus took them into this storm, and um, you've got to understand why. Let's, let's talk about why. Because here's what's happened. Jesus had just taught some of the great stories in, in the kingdom of God, the greatest stories in the Bible. The story where the farmer goes out and, and sows his seed, you know, he spreads seed and some of it falls on the path and some of it falls on the rocky soil and some falls on soil and weeds come up. But then there's some good soil. He just taught that, that story about the kingdom of God, the word of God. It's just like that. And there's some hearts that are ready, some hearts that aren't. He had just taught the parable, the story about the mustard seed. If you have midget faith, I mean just enough faith as a mustard seed. A mustard seed you can hold between your first finger and your thumb, and it's about that big. But when you plant it, after a while it becomes ten feet tall, and, and Jesus is saying the kingdom of God is like that. If you have just a little bit of faith, it will, it will uh, flourish, and everyone will see it after time. He just taught those stories. And then he decides to test them, because... He wants to know if they got the curriculum. It's not enough to say, um, I, I get it, Jesus. He wants to see it practiced. Mark 4.33, at the end of all of that, it says, He used many such stories and illustrations to teach the people as much as they were able to understand. It came time to put their learning to the, to the test because the Bible tells us that faith, faith that, that results in actions, comes from hearing. You can't believe in God unless you hear about God. But a faith has to be tested before it can be trusted. That's on your listening guide. Faith must be tested before it can be trusted. It's not enough to know a lesson. It's not enough to be able to repeat this lesson word for word that Jesus just gave. He wants to know if it's going to come out in your real daily life. And that's one reason God allows storms to come into our lives. Storms reveal what we've learned. Storms reveal the truth. And this particular storm that we're looking at was part of that day's curriculum. It would help them learn a lesson they didn't even know they needed to learn. You know what that lesson was? Jesus can be trusted in the storms of life. Lots of folks think that storms only come when they've disobeyed God. No, that happened to Jonah. Jonah went into a pretty big storm because he was running from God. The disciples, the followers of Jesus, were in a storm because they obeyed God. What did Jesus say? Let's get in the boat and go across the lake. They got in the boat to go across the lake, and what happens? They hit the storm of the ages because they were doing what God told them to do. Now, <laughs> Jesus was tired because of a long day of teaching, and so he lays down to take a nap when they leave Capernaum headed for the other shore. 
But before he did, he gave them a word. The word was a command and it was also a promise. And it's the same thing he's telling us. And if we're listening, really listening, we'll understand. What was his word? He said, let's get into the boat and do what? Go to the other side. Jesus did not say, let's get into the boat and drown. Jesus did not say, let's go crash and float around in the, in the Sea of Galilee for a while and then swim back up on shore. He, didn't, he said, we're going to go to the other side. But they weren't paying attention. God never wastes a storm and He never wastes a miracle. We waste them all the time, but God doesn't waste them. He knows that storms move us out of our comfort zone. Because if they'd had a vote that day, if He'd have said to His disciples, or His fishermen, followers, hey guys, let's vote. How many of you want to go into the storm of the ages? Let me see your hand. What in the world? None of us would willingly go into a storm. And what Jesus wanted to know was, do you trust me? They would have said yes. The storm was going to prove whether they trusted him or not. So, Jesus doesn't give us that option. He wants us to trust him. Last year for Caleb's 12th birthday, he, he turns 13 in January. So for his 12th birthday, I wanted to have this really special uh, day to welcome him into manhood. been reading lots of books about how you leave a legacy and how you, how you prepare your son to be a man. Would you say that's kind of a problem in our society today? And a lot of guys don't know how to be men. And, and the problems that are, that are in families today result because men are being boys because they never knew how to grow up. And so I don't want that for my son. I want my son to know that I'm proud of him that I'm well pleased with him, that, that um, I want him to go further in his spiritual life than I ever thought about going. I don't care what the dude does for a living as long as he follows Jesus. We pray that all the time. So I invited about 25 of my closest friends and relatives to come, and they were going to do this, um, this celebration for his 12th birthday. Um, this was a surprise, though. I sent out a letter, gave instructions um, that, that they were to... Uh, write a letter to Caleb that they were to buy a, a gift or give a gift, not necessarily buy it because I said the, uh, the amount of the gift is not important. It's the sentimental value. So men stood up here, read him a letter, and then they would have a gift and they would talk about the gift and they would give it to him. He got some of the coolest stuff in the world. And, and one of the men totally disregarded the whole value thing, you know, how much, and he buys Caleb an iPod. Now, this is a couple of weeks before Christmas. He tells me that he buys Caleb. He actually asked permission. And, and I said, you're nuts. Why do you want to do that? And he said, because I like Caleb, and, you know, I want to give him a good gift. And I'm like, okay. So this was a couple weeks before Christmas. Had to order it, got it in. Well, what we had done last year, it's the first time we ever did this, we told our kids, we will give you the money that, that we were going to spend on your Christmas presents, and we'll take you shopping the day after Christmas, and you'll probably get more because there'll be after Christmas sales. And they're like, that's a good idea. So they were saving up money. We, we had stocking stuffers on Christmas Day, and then the day after Christmas, we head off to Dallas, and then after that, we're going to go to my parents in Borger, Texas. So... Um, Caleb had saved up money, and he had about 200 bucks to spend. You know, that was not what we... He had added a lot from his lawn mowing and stuff like that. So what he really wanted was a Nintendo DS. And uh, we stopped at every stinking GameStop, Sam's, Walmart, anywhere we thought Target, from, from Dallas, Texas to Borger, which is another, you know, 350, 400 miles. We stopped in Wichita Falls. We stopped in Childress. We... All the way up, we stopped, and the only stinking Nintendo DS we could find was a bright pink one. <laughs> and, and homeboy said, I don't want it. And I said, that may be the only one you find. I don't want it. I'm like, but your sisters will love you. I don't care. I do not want 
a pink DS. Only one in existence. So the problem is, as we're, as we're going to all these different places, his sisters, who are younger than him, are buying stuff. We went to Build-A-Bear. We went to um, um, uh, Hello Kitty. We went to the Dollar Tree. We went to the mall. Every place we stopped, his sisters are buying stuff. And, and Caleb has to keep getting back in the van. And he's, you know, he's in the back, and they're in these chairs, and he sees the gifts just piling up so bad that he has to step over them every stop. And he's getting ticked. Because, like, Christmas came and went, and he wasn't real hip on this whole deal anyway. He got outvoted. By the way, he started several weeks ahead of time this year to have a traditional Christmas and talk the girls into doing that because he didn't want to go through this again. So we don't find anything. We get to Borger, and I'm like, dude, I promise, we'll go to Amarillo. Maybe we'll find something in Amarillo. So three or four days have gone by. His sisters have spent everything they have. They are playing with stuff at Meemaw's house, and Caleb has nothing. So we go to Amarillo, and we go to Walmart and Sam's and GameStop. Nothing, not even a pink one there. And so we're in Sam's, and he comes running up to me, and he goes, Dad, I found it. I found what I want. And I said, what do you want? And he goes, an iPod. Uh-oh. And I went, okay, are you sure? Yep, I made up my mind. I'm going to buy it right now. And so I looked at Janie, and I said, I said Caleb, do you trust me? And with a look on his face of, no, but I know what I should say. (laughs) Yes, sir. I said, don't buy the iPod. Dad. I said, baby, trust me. That's all I would say is trust me. So shoulders slumped. He goes away. And and, uh, then he finally decides he wants a bike. Well, we can't even buy that there because we can't bring it home. We have to come back to Palestine. So like a week after Christmas, he finally gets his gift. I said, baby, your, your birthday's coming up. Just trust me. So we get to his birthday in January, you know, a month later. And uh, birthdays are a big deal at our house. Janie does a great job of, of making everybody feel special. You know, you get the red plate that says you are special and you get to choose your meal. Well, we, all, we have a rule that whenever the, the birthday person gets up, everybody else has to get up and bring the gifts. This was the lamest set of gifts we have ever given the child. He got a pair of jeans, a shirt a uh, package of sunflower seeds and an energy drink. And homeboy is sitting there opening it and you can just see him. And then he just stops. And we're like, Woohoo, Caleb, yay! Happy birthday. We sing to him and he just is devastated. I was, I was talking to him last week when I asked permission to share this and I said, what were you thinking? He said, I was thinking, is this it? And so we go through the whole day. His celebration's not till 6 o'clock that night. And he develops an attitude. He's ticked. And he starts going around. And, and I found out while I was gone, Rachel, my little informant, <laughs> says, Daddy, Caleb's walking around the house going, why should I trust Dad? Dad said, trust me. Why did Dad say trust me? I can't believe Dad said trust me. <laughs> so I pull him aside, and I have to have a little heart-to-heart. And I'm like, dude... You better chill out. But, Dad, I said, I ask you to trust me. And he's thinking, yeah, and you can't be trusted. (laughs) And so I said, you choose right now. You choose your attitude. So he chose his attitude, and uh, later that day, Alex takes him out, you know, and keeps him out, and we're we're, um, setting up up here. And he walks in that back door, and uh, these men 
are there and, and a couple of his friends and my dad's right there by me and my older brother and, and these men, incredible men. When, when we took this picture, um, all of them had stood up and read their letters and given Caleb the, uh, the gifts. And one of the gifts was what? An iPod. And uh, we prayed over him, had my dad there and my brother, and we, we gathered around and prayed. That football he's holding, that was kind of cool. We had everybody sign the football and put their name on it. And we did skits up here about what it means to be a man. Um, there's my dad sitting there. And, and when, I, when I gave him the football, I said, every man here has signed this and put their phone number on it so that if you ever find yourself in a situation where you don't feel like you can talk to dad, these men have said they'll be there for you. And so I said, what I want to do is I want to hand this ball off to you. And, you know, I made him practice taking the handoff because it would be bad if I fumbled. And that was, whole, that was symbolizing that he's coming into manhood and we welcomed him into manhood. And, and we did this really incredible thing for him. And uh, that night, homeboy couldn't go to sleep. And so I, we were talking and I said, baby, what were you thinking? And he said... the. What I was thinking, first of all, was I can't believe those men came for me because this was all about Caleb. And I said, was that it? And he goes, no, sir. I said, what else were you thinking? He said, I'm really stupid for not trusting my dad. (laughs) And uh, I think you and I are just as stupid when we don't trust God. See, Caleb heard my voice. Do you trust me? But he didn't trust my heart. And when you and I are in the middle of storms, no matter what we've heard about God's voice, we don't trust his heart that he really cares about us. You think Caleb learned his lesson? I hope so. <laughs> his birthday's coming up. Maybe, maybe we'll do another one. Um, storms produce growth. And, and God knows that if we have a choice between a storm and comfort, we'll choose comfort. You know what the number one selling chair in America is? Lazy boy. It's not risky boy. It's lazy boy. And God knows that we'll choose comfort, but God has never been interested in our comfort. God has always been interested in our character. And character is revealed and character is formed in the middle of storms. And so God is going to bring storms into your life. Jesus had a purpose in this storm. And not only did they, did they come to know Jesus as the storm placer, number two is they came to know Jesus as the storm eraser. We're going to rhyme, so just get used to it. Storm eraser. What was their first reaction to the storm? Fear. <laughs> But what were they so afraid of? Because think of this. By this time, these guys had seen incredible demonstrations of Jesus' power. He lived with them. They followed Him day after day. They had seen, by this time, they'd seen Jesus heal sick people. By speaking it, He healed one boy from a distance of 38 miles just by speaking it. At another time, He healed someone without even saying the words. He says, it will be done because of your faith. And at a distance, He heals people. We've seen Him cast demons out. And he'd even raised a person from the dead at this time. So they knew that Jesus had that type of power. But what about the power of nature? Mother nature, is she bigger than God? They didn't know until after this storm. Because Jesus Jesus just calmed it. 
And see, the, the disciples, if they looked at the, at the situation, they knew they were going to die. The truth of their situation, according to his followers, was we are going to die. But was that the truth of the situation? See, there's one little detail that you and I miss that they missed. And here it is in John 14, 6. Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth was asleep in the front of the boat. They had not heard from truth yet. When truth spoke, the situation changed. And their fear was redirected. First they were afraid because of the storm. Now they're afraid because who is this man? And they have awe for this guy because all of a sudden they found out that he can erase storms. And they ask him, don't you care? Well, in 1 Peter 5, 7, the Bible says, Give all your worries and cares to God, for He cares about you. Of course He cares about you. He, wants, he can change your circumstances. He can erase your storm. But a lot of times He doesn't want to do that. He wants to do something in you, and that's form your character. Now, where was Jesus in the story? Where was He physically located? In the boat. Where were His followers? In the boat. If you are a follower of Christ, the Bible says that God's Holy Spirit lives within you. And if you are following Him, if you're in the middle of His will, if you're obeying Him, then think about this. There is no storm that can take you under, and there is never a storm you will face alone. Pretty cool. That's what we learned from this deal. So not only do they learn that Jesus is the storm chaser, the storm placer, the storm eraser, there's one other thing they learn. Jesus is the storm replacer. The storm replacer. Luke 8.22 says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. So they got into the boat and they started out. Jesus said they were going to the other side. Where did they get to? The other side. Jesus never said it would be easy to get there, but he did say they would get there. Now, you and I, you agree that we've forgotten God's word in the middle of storms? There are over 7,000 promises of God in this Bible. There is a promise of God for every storm you will ever face in life. But when you grow is when you choose to cling on to this and say, God, I know, God, there's a storm. (laughs) God, I'm scared. But you said you care about me. You said you care, so God, I'm going to cling on to that regardless of what I see. People worry about Christians and and they, they actually cast stones at us and say we have blind faith. Nothing could be further from the truth. A Christian is a thinking person who is very aware of the circumstances. God, if you don't do something, I'm going down. But regardless of whether I do, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember what they said? Our God is able to save us from the fiery furnace. But even if He does not, we will not bow to you, O King. They trusted the promise of God. They trusted the heart of God. And see, here's what God wants you to do. The problem was their midget faith. Their problem was they were looking at the wrong thing. They're looking at the storm instead of at God. So what God wants us to do is He wants us to learn how to replace two things. And we're done. He wants me to replace fear with faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, It is impossible to please God without faith. Not difficult, not kind of hard. Impossible. The smallest act of faith moves the heart of God. So you're aware of what's going on and you know that God is bigger. In order to place fear with faith, we have to choose to believe those promises of God. If you were in the ocean, I was on a cruise a few weeks ago, and you have to practice putting on these honking life preservers and everybody looks stupid and you take pictures. and You you have to do it. It's part of the Coast Guard safety regulations. Now, what kind of idiot in the middle of the ocean 
would throw away the life preserver. I don't need this. No, I'm just going to tread water. It probably is going to take 8 to 10 miles for that ocean liner to turn around to come back and get you, even if they know you've gone over. So a wise person is going to hang on to the life preserver. The promises of God are life preservers for the storms of your life. Do not cast them aside. Another thing God wants us to replace is panic with peace. What was Jesus doing during the storm? Sleeping. What do you tend to do when storms hit you? Lose sleep. How could Jesus sleep? Well, He understood this promise. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank Him for all He has done. If you do this, you will experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and make your minds and end your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. The amount of peace you have in a storm is in direct proportion to the amount of time you have spent praying. Anytime I am um, filled with fear and worry, I can tell you that I've not prayed. Anytime that I have peace when everybody else says that I should be worried, it's because I've spent time praying. Because you begin to look like God when you spend time in His presence. Alex prayed, God, we know that you get excited when we come here. He gets excited because he knows he changes us just a little bit to look more like Christ. And that's the purpose of of the church. That's the purpose of walking with Christ, so we look more like Him. So I want, I want to know where you are right now. Are you in a storm? Are you coming out of a storm? There's only one other option. You're about to head into one. <laughs> if you've been alive and you're not in denial, those are the three options. You're in a storm, you're coming out of a storm, or you're about to head into one. Where are you? And, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to take your, your registration cards, fill out the front. On the back, I've, I've got a question to ask you.